Annyeonghaseyo. This is Kyle with Korean Adoptee Stories, and I'm with Erica Arnold. I'm actually really excited to speak with Erica because I know she's got quite of a, a story, especially when it seems like she had struggled through with a lot of mental health issues and even end up getting caught up in the substance abuse world, which I'm really interested in learning how she escaped that. I guess recently I dated someone that kind of had a similar uh, background and apparently I feel like she's still caught up in that kind of world. I'm kind of curious what Erica has done for herself to want to change her life and make things better. So here is Erica Arnold and go ahead and introduce yourself. Can you tell us where you're from a little bit about your adoption story, if you will, please? Sure. Uh, my name's Erica Arnold. I am going to be 45 this year. I was adopted um, when I was three months old from Seoul, South Korea. My adoption is a little different than some of the transracial adoptions, but only because my father is Chinese. So I did have that Asian element, which was, I didn't realize what a gift it was until recently. My childhood was fairly good. I'm from New Orleans. I was raised there. I lived there uh, until Hurricane Katrina, a native New Orleans, I like to think of myself. And my childhood was not easy. I'm sure, you know, a lot of people's wasn't, but I'm learning now because I'm currently in therapy, that as much as my parents tried to love me the best they could, I wasn't given that emotional connection that I needed from them. The oldest children, much of an age gap between their siblings and themselves. So they're uh, very responsible, very uh, together, but not very warm, not very loving, kind of cold. So did you say you grew up with other siblings then, or was it just you, or...? I have a sister who is nine years younger than me, and she's biologically their own child. So to be honest, I really see that's kind of where my trouble started. I didn't see that. I didn't recognize that until actually recently because I'm in therapy now. But them having their own biological child, and they tried very hard for it. My sister was born in 85, and in vitro wasn't extremely huge then. So they spent a lot of money to have her, and a lot of things changed for me after she was born. I started getting in trouble a lot. I had a lot of behavior problems, and looking back now, I think I was felt like I was being replaced, but I, I didn't see it when I was younger. So just for clarification, you said your dad is Chinese. Is that your adopted dad or your real dad? My adopted father. Oh, I see. Okay. My adopted father is Chinese and my uh, adopted mother is Caucasian. Do you feel like since he was of Asian descent that actually benefited you in the end? Absolutely. And it wasn't until I became a part of the Korean adoptees Facebook group. And so many of us adoptees, primarily in the U.S., have two Caucasian or white parents. I see now what a gift I was given because of my father's Asianness. I got to experience, you know, both sides, a little bit of Asian culture, if you will. And to, to be completely honest, I personally felt like their child. Unlike many adoptees that I've spoken to, I never thought about my adoptive mother or my adoptive father. Like my adoptive parents were my mom and dad, and I saw them that way. And I think that is because my father was Asian. I think it was very interesting. So it sounded like you had a lot of emotional issues when you were young, but you still saw your parents as your parents. How was that? There's sort of a discombobulation with yourself. What kind of things kind of led to those issues, aside from what you just told us? 
honestly, for me, I wanted to forget I was adopted altogether. It was part of my life that I wanted to erase. And if anything, I was ashamed of it. I never even told people that I was Korean until I stopped using drugs and actually got honest with myself. So I would lie and I would say that if people asked me what nationality I was, I would say my father's Chinese, which he is, and my mother's Caucasian. But anything about my Korean heritage, I I totally rejected because I so wanted to feel like I was their child, if that makes sense. Do you feel that the fact that you kind of let's say maybe you you didn't want to identify as Korean. Do you think that maybe contributed to negative behaviors growing up? I don't think completely. Well, at least what I'm learning from my therapist. And we've only been in therapy for about six months, so it's still very new. But she's helping me to learn that I don't think it's so much of the adoption because I don't think about my birth mother or anything that much. My relationship with my own mother, my adopted mother who I'll just call mom now, we were never close. And I really longed for that mother-daughter close relationship, and, and it just wasn't there. And I'm now learning that she just wasn't able to give me that because that's not how she was. But I took it as a rejection. And having been adopted, it's a rejection there and then another rejection. I think that's where my problems really started. So you said that you had a disconnect between your mother, but you said that you had a pretty good relationship with your father then? Well, you know, memories are a funny thing. Um, <laughs> I think that positive memories, that positive perception that I had was because my father was nicer to me. <laughs> he was the, the nicer parent, always said yes, bought me lots of things. And my mother kind of, you know, she took care of everything, but she wasn't she didn't seem to like me very much. <laughs> and I mean, that's a horrible thing to say, but that's how I perceived it as a child. Do you feel that the, your youngest sister, was she treated differently from your mom's side? Do you think that contributed to any like dynamics when it came to how you grew up? Well, she's nine years younger than me, so there is such a big gap. But absolutely, looking back now, I think my mother really wanted her own child and she wasn't able to give my father one initially. I think adoption was like, the second best thing, but it still wasn't her child. And uh, yes, I, I believe my sister was raised with a little more love. It sounds like your dad actually wanted more of the adoption than your mom. Is that correct? Since he had a better relationship with you, it sounds like. I think the adoption was wanted by both of them. I wasn't diagnosed as a child, but as an adult, looking back, I can see I definitely had ADHD, uh, a very hyper child. And I think our personalities just didn't mesh very well. I don't know. I don't know a lot of adoptive people that I've talked to as children. They really want that love. They really want that acceptance. And when someone doesn't give it to you, you automatically think it's your fault. And whereas some children might really strive to get it more and be super sweet and super accommodating, I was the opposite. I was very mad. I was very angry. I was like, what's wrong with me? And if you don't like me, then I'm going to hate you. And I acted out. Um, I'm not saying I'm not trying to make excuses, but I was not a very easy child to live with. Definitely in my youth. So kind of describe your childhood through school. How did you do in school then? Were you it a study or were you kind of still acting out at that time? Well, up until middle school, yeah, I didn't get good grades. I didn't study. It wasn't because I don't think I could. I just didn't want to. School was not something important to me. I didn't have any friends. Nobody really liked me. Everyone picked on me. It wasn't until I reached puberty and 
started high school that everything changed because I kind of um, developed or <laughs> went through puberty. Was that for the better or was that a bad experience? Looking back now, I mean, I thought it was great. I mean, when I turned 13, I thought it was great. It's like everyone likes me now. Boys want to date me. But as an adult, it's such a false premise because you think that everyone's going to judge you by the way you look, how pretty you are, how thin you are. And now that I'm getting older, I've had to reevaluate those values and realize those are not the values that serve me best and that I really believe in. So I'm curious, like you kind of alluded that maybe you identify with some Asian heritage, but my curiosity is, did you ever deny your Korean self versus being more American or did you actually have some interest in the Korean culture at all? When you're growing up or not really or what is your thoughts on that not the korean part at all like i said i totally didn't want any part of it i so much wanted to believe that i was their child and since my adoptive father was chinese it was something that could be easily believed in the very beginning when i was younger i actually took chinese class a chinese lesson we were very immersed in my father's chinese culture but nothing about no Korean culture. And primarily, I think it was because I didn't want it because I so wanted to identify with being their child and not being adopted. I was very ashamed about my adoption. It wasn't until I stopped using drugs and got clean that I really began to examine why that was. So I was curious with your adoption, did your parents speak to you about your adoption when you were a child? Or was it something that was kind of not spoken about often? I've known I was adopted from as long as I can remember. Growing up, there was a picture in my room that's a little print that was framed that said, not flesh of my flesh, nor bone of my bone, but still miraculously my own. Never forget for a single minute, you didn't grow under my heart, but in it. So I, I knew and it was a picture of a blonde lady holding a little dark haired baby girl. So I knew from as long as I can remember that I was adopted, but I was ashamed of it. It was something that I hated. I think it's interesting that you actually experienced shame so at such a young age and able to process that kind of shame. And it sounds like your parents, have you suffered from any type of abuse from them or was it mainly just being ignored or... Yeah, they weren't abusive per se, and not neglectful in the physical and material sense, but just not very emotionally there. They're both good people, and I love them very much, but they have their own issues as, as well, and um, they're not incredibly even close to each other. Like, I've seen my mother and father, they've been married, I think, 56 years or something last August. I've seen them kiss twice. <laughs> I've seen them actually physically touch each other, like, hug and it's just not something in my family that we did and as an adopted child I yearn so much for that physical touch that acceptance that affirmation and having someone say I love you I'm proud of you I'm glad you're here those things just weren't spoke of in our family so your parents rarely hugged you and they didn't kiss you they didn't say I love you very often it was a pretty cold relationship it sounds like absolutely it was and growing up I didn't see anything wrong with that but when I hit puberty, I became very, I don't want to say promiscuous, but I mean, the only thing that was important to me was finding a boyfriend because I, and I now see that's because I wanted someone to love me so much, if that makes sense. 
that makes sense. It's kind of like you felt like you weren't accepted and loved and when you were a child, but then once it changed, you kind of embraced kind of the the change that you're going through. So I was curious now, when did you start uh, dabbling in that world of, of drugs? And, and could you ex- describe that experience? How old were you? And, and uh, maybe a little bit of what your lifestyle with that. Sure. Um, believe it or not, even though I was raised in New Orleans, I didn't drink or try marijuana or hadn't done any drug until uh, I was 22. So pretty, pretty late. I bartended at Chili's. If anybody knows the restaurant culture, there's a lot of drugs, yep. a lot of partying when you get off work. And I was introduced to cocaine by two of my coworkers. And the second I did it, it, it was like, it was like <sighs> exhaling. Nothing is wrong. I felt so good. And it wasn't like this high. I mean, it was a high, but it wasn't. It it just made me not worry about anything. I didn't realize how much anxiety I had until it was gone. I I constantly was always worrying about something and that was gone. And I loved it. I was hooked. I didn't ever not want to be high ever again. So there's a positive affluence from actually taking drugs. It allows you to feel better and kind of forget a lot of the pain, I guess, and with what you were feeling with. So how long were you into that scene? And can you describe a little bit about what happened between that? 16 years I did drugs. So it was a very long time. It totally destroyed my life in every single way. I didn't talk to my family for over a decade. I have two adult children. My daughter is um, going to be 26 this year. My son is going to be 24. It pains me to say, but for much of their growing up, I was not there. And that's something I'm still trying to, I mean, we have a great relationship now as fellow adoptees, I'm sure you can understand for some reason, people that have been abandoned are like the most forgiving and empathetic people. So I'm very lucky that my children, they've forgiven me, but being involved in addiction ruined my life in every way. In the beginning, it's fun and it's great. But after that honeymoon period is over, being an addict is is hard. And people that don't understand it, I think they think, well, why don't you just stop? Why don't you just don't do it anymore? And I can only speak for myself, but I couldn't stop because I couldn't exist in a world with the pain that I carried and drugs for me, um, using substances, it took that away. It didn't make it go away, but it took the feelings away. And I couldn't even imagine living life without it once I had done it. Once I had tried them. Did you just do cocaine or did you do a m- multiple types of drugs like meth or? Every drug that there was. I, I Really? Yeah. So you kind of know all the experiences. You're very lucky to actually be healthy and kind of in front of us. And that's why it's amazing to me because I guess there's quite a bit loss with me. I dated someone just like last year who was kind of stuck in that drug world. And I tried to get her out of it. And her heart's towards that other guy that does drugs too. And I feel like to me, it's a lost cause, but in the end, I feel like there must be some sort of something with whatever happened with you for you somehow were able to get out of that kind of scene. You, you did like everything. I think you said you experienced homelessness and uh, did you experience abuse at all or rapes on living on the streets? Could you just describe a little bit about the lifestyles as the drug addict and maybe the ones that stand out if you could if, if any i did i've been raped several times oh gosh so many negative things have happened in my life because of drugs i mean i've been raped i've been homeless 
I've done things that I would never, never do to get drugs. It was a very shameful part of my life. And because I had so much guilt and shame for not participating in my children's life then as much as I would have wanted to, I think, not think, I know that that perpetuated it and made the addiction last longer. I mean, addicts have a saying, you know, that the worse we feel, the more we use, and the more we use, the worse we feel. It's like this never-ending prophecy that- Cycle. Right, it's not healthy. And for myself, I guess we're talking about bad things. Um, Oh, Lord, I've had- so many things happen. I mean, Hurricane Katrina is probably the biggest one. If I had been in my right state of mind when people said leave, leave New Orleans, I would have left. But during that time, I was a full-blown IV heroin addict. I wasn't going to go anywhere. And because of that, not that it's completely my fault because I'm trying not to blame myself for everything anymore. But because of that, I was in New Orleans when Hurricane Katrina hit. Me and my roommate, we sat on our roof for seven days and eight nights until the Coast Guard was finally able to come back into the city. And to be completely honest, we're lucky we didn't starve or get killed. During Hurricane Katrina, I was sexually assaulted during that time. It was a pretty crazy thing. I mean, I saw people drowned. (laughs) I saw dead bodies floating in the water. I saw a little girl die. It's something that uh, to this day I'm still dealing with. It sounds like you went through a lot of trauma, primarily, mainly through your adult life. What kind of was the ticking point of you saying, I don't want to do these type of things anymore? Was there a big aha moment that you decided to change or did you get sick and tired of being sick and tired? Could you describe a little bit about that? Personally, for me, in my opinion, as much help as you want to give someone that's addicted, if they don't want to stop, it's really hard to convince them to do so. Me personally, there were times where I wanted to stop. I was sick and tired, but I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, but I I wasn't done yet. I'm not sure why I wasn't done. I just wasn't ready. It finally took me yet. I even, I've been to jail. (laughs) I've gone to jail and still got out and used drugs still. I think for myself, I just, I couldn't find a way to use successfully anymore. What does that mean, use successfully? Um, gosh, I, it wasn't fun anymore. It wasn't enjoyable. And all the bad things that come with being a drug addict, you get to a point where you, when you're using substances that can't even take it away anymore, take away the internal pain or the internal struggles that you're having. And those struggles are why you're using in the first place. I mean, I think in my personal opinion, most addicts, something's happened. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that is for other people, but you're searching for something. There's something missing. I mean, people that are normal or functioning human beings, I don't think they become a hardcore addict unless there's some kind of trauma. Hey, I'm curious. This is coming from someone that has never had an addiction, but my curiosity is like, why do all these bad things happen when it comes to drug addiction and drug users? Is it because they want this fix, this high, this way to escape the reality of things. And then when that runs out, they run out of money to pay for it. And then that's what ends up them homeless because their priorities change. Or is there some other thing that affects? No, absolutely. That's it. I think for most hardcore addicts, including myself, drugs are the most important thing. There's no self-esteem. For myself, there is no sense of self-worth. And when you don't 
care about yourself and don't love yourself, you're willing to put yourself in dangerous positions. You're willing to do anything for that next high because me personally, I hated who I was and how I felt. And I hated it so much that I was willing to do anything to take me out of myself. I I used crack cocaine for a long time. I don't even like the high of crack cocaine. I hate the way it makes me feel, makes me paranoid, makes me, it's awful, but I would still do it because it still took me out of myself. Even though it was a terrible feeling, it was something that was, got me away from me. And I hated me so much that I, I needed to be somebody else. So you did all these type of drugs. What do you think was the most damaging between meth, crack, cocaine, heroin? You seem to be really experienced. Which one do you think is the one that you say avoid like the plague? I'm sure you probably want to avoid all of them, but is there one that completely like destroyed everything? I hate to say it, but in my opinion, methamphetamine is the worst drug that there is. In my own experience with it, Lord, it's, I, I hate to say it this way, but Cocaine and heroin, at least there's, it's a plant. There is some natural quality in it. Methamphetamine is just completely manufactured. There's nothing natural. I think it's a terrible drug. It makes you go crazy a little bit and can put you into psychosis. Is this because it's the most expensive drug or Or is it cheap? Or is it cheap? And that's why you have access to it and can get high really quickly or is there something else? For me, meth wasn't a big part of my story. I did it maybe for about maybe a year, but in that year, and even I who didn't care about myself could see it was a terrible, terrible drug. You can't sleep when you're on it. So you're up for days and days and days at a time, which puts you into a major psychosis, major paranoia. At least for me, I was terrified constantly. I didn't want to do that to myself anymore. It just seemed counterproductive. So on math, I know there's different types of people that are on it. Did you find yourself calmer on math or did you find yourself like up and about? It sounded like you were up and about then, huh? Yeah. Because I, I heard that it kind of is related to ADHD meds. It's kind of similar to it. And there's people that take meth because it actually calms them down a certain percentage. Is that what actually happened to my ex? What you're saying is actually true because I have ADHD, or at least I feel it is for me. Most people with cocaine or methamphetamine, it's an upper. For me, it kind of calmed and chilled me out. Whereas heroin or opiates or downers, they hype me up. (laughs) They make me productive. They make me do things. So yes, I agree with you, at least for myself. I'm curious. So you were kind of going through the stage of just abusing a whole bunch of drugs. Do you feel it's like, I don't know, it's hard to diagnose shame, but do you feel it was due to depression or your deep depression? Your adoption, maybe. Or what do you think is the main cause of why you wanted to just do these drugs besides the addiction to it? Or maybe that is the reason. Did you maybe just didn't like your life at all? Or Or just didn't like yourself, maybe? For me, yeah, it was that I hated who I was. I didn't like me. What were these things that you didn't like? I mean, yourself. And that goes, and these are things I'm talking about my therapist just now currently. Being adopted, I definitely think that there is an aspect of that because um, I was given up, so I felt like I wasn't worthy. And then when my adoptive mother and, and me, we again didn't bond and didn't have a close relationship, I think that was something else that 
that deeply affected me. Did this also affect relationships you were in? Like, yeah. uh, how were your relationships with men or, or women? I guess I, I don't know. Oh, no, I'm straight, but that's okay. Absolutely. Before drugs came into play, because I didn't try drugs till I was 22, relationship before drugs, boys or men, that was my drug of choice. I mean, I so wanted to be loved by somebody. And I don't want to sound like I'm just the greatest person, but I can be a jerk. I can be not a very nice person sometimes. But yeah, relationships were, as soon as I like hit my puberty years of boys and being in relationships, that was my drug because I wanted to be loved so badly. Do you feel they were toxic or was it just that fix of just feeling like you're loved or was there some toxic, like a fear of abandonment or things like that? All the relationships I've had, and I'm still working on it, they've all not been great relationships because if you don't like who you are and love yourself, how can you really adequately love someone else? I've been in relationships where not physically, but I was the abuser. I was very emotionally abusive to the men I was with that were very nice guys. And I've been in relationships where I've been physically and emotionally abused and took it by these not so nice gentlemen. So yeah, my relationships were completely dysfunctional. When did you actually become sober? It sounds like it maybe was recent. I think Hurricane Katrina was what, 2004 or four or something? It was 2005. My clean date is October 31st, 2014. It'll be, gosh, it'll be seven years this Halloween. Oh, congratulations. What was that date and why you chose that date to quit? Was there something special going on? Maybe you're traumatic. Maybe you're in like narcotics uh, anonymous or was it in the hospitalization or meds you're on or therapy or i've stopped doing drugs many many times jail has been a reason because i was in jail that's been a reason before but this particular time i checked into a a rehab center and that was the first date that they had the bed it wasn't a planned date but i had been in rehab twice before before 2014 but it just like i said before i was sick and tired but i still wasn't ready to stop is rehab considered voluntary or no all of mine well, actually i was gonna say all of mine were voluntary but that's not true i did have one court ordered rehab that i went to and i went to it and then as soon as it was over i started using drugs again how were you able to overcome it in 2014 then what was the reason why you've been sobered that long now was it your kids growing up maybe or maybe you're in like your network like i guess people use drugs is because maybe their best friend or their significant other uses drugs and they get caught up in it or they have family that get caught up in it or things like that i hate to say it but for me those weren't the cases for me i use drugs alone i didn't have friends that were using drugs and if i did i didn't use them with them i was so selfish and wanted it all for myself and when i got high i got high by myself And that's not a norm from what I've heard from many other people. That's not very normal or that's not the norm. That's what makes it even more amazing because when you're alone doing your own thing, that's probably where you're probably the worst you can be because, I mean, no one could stop you. But yet somehow you were able to get off that ride. And and I think it's just awesome to me. Thank you. And to be honest, if I still wanted to do drugs now, I'd probably still be doing them. What changed for me on October 31st, 2014, is I was just done. I was ready to stop. I was tired. Yes, my children were growing up. That was a factor, but it was just really 
myself. For me, drugs were the solution. It was something that I could do or I could take to take away all those feelings that I had inside that I was not ready to deal with. And by the time I quit, the substances and the drugs weren't even helping me take care of that. So I had to find another way. So you found another why. How long have you been going to therapy then? Or have you been going through therapy most of your life? Or when did you start that? I've been in therapy a couple different times in my life. But me personally, I think you have to really want it. And you have to really want to get better. So multiple times that I've been in therapy in my life, all of them together haven't helped me as much as just these past five months in therapy have. I see a world of difference just about how I feel about myself. I mean, I've been sober for almost seven years now, but I haven't been happy. I haven't had that inner peace that I'm sure that everybody wants. I mean, I've been not using drugs, but there's still a great deal of depression and just feeling like what the hell is wrong with me. (laughs) You know, that's actually what brought me to seek therapy just this past January because I was so depressed. I've been going through a lot. Um, up until this year, I've been like in about a two-year depression where, to be completely honest, I didn't leave my house. And it happened before the whole coronavirus hit. So I was severely, severely depressed. I wasn't using, but I was severely, severely depressed. So to explain your situation where you're at that point where you were just sick and tired, So I'm trying to relate to that to like medications. I don't know if you heard of benzodiazepines like Ativan, which is like simple anti-anxiety drugs. The reason why people get addicted to that is because they develop tolerance and you got to keep taking more of it. Do you feel maybe the reason why you were able to stop because the amount that you're taking was no longer giving you that fix or that high and the financial spending just wasn't worth that anymore? Or maybe there's some other reason? Absolutely. I used to say I could have a heroin tree in the back of my yard and have won the lottery 50 times and it still wouldn't be enough. I think that's what I meant by using successfully. It's like a light bulb somehow clicked on in my head where even if you had a heroin tree in the back of your yard, it wouldn't be enough because your tolerance does build up so much. It always takes more and more and more and more. I think the logical side of my brain overtook the the desire and the compulsion and the addiction and i had to find a better way if that makes sense so do you feel that people who do quit drugs is just because the high is no longer good for them is that how people are able to stop their addiction or is there some other things that you know when you were in any anonymous I think people that actually are in recovery and they've successfully quit using drugs, I think they have to want it. Something has to not be working anymore. It's not solving the problem because I personally believe if I saw that was there still a way to do them, I would probably do them. But there's not. (laughs) I don't think there really is a way successfully for anyone to do it. Did you experience suicidality when you're any times through your life? I know you've been depressed. Have you been suicidal? Absolutely. I mean, the whole time. In my whole act of addiction, I would pray to wake up dead every morning. Like I would hope that I didn't want to go on. I didn't have the courage to actually kill myself, but I definitely wanted to die every day of my life. And just up until recently, I was depressed. I'm just coming out of a two-year depression, and I've never attempted suicide. It was definitely something that I thought about often. I mean, most people wake up and they're like, oh, or I hate to say normal, but 
people that don't have mental health issues, I would ask someone, I don't think they wake up every day and think, oh my God, it's another day. I, I have to do this. They're like, oh, it's a day I'm waking up. And that's something that I knew that I could achieve. I just didn't know how to do it. Were there ever times where you almost got close to a drug overdose or no? Were you able to count carefully the amount that you're supposed to take or maybe you just never got to that point? I've overdosed a couple times. One time the ambulance and the police even had to come and give me like a Narcan shot to get me out of it. That's happened before. I had a friend who found me face down in a bathtub with my head in the water and I was turned blue. And he said he gave me CPR. I don't remember it. I just remember I woke up wet. But yes, these things have absolutely happened. I'm surprised I'm still alive. So I think there's a lot of people that kind of judge people especially drug addicts, sometimes homeless people, even though I really do believe sometimes experience is the best teacher. So even though I could try to have an empathetic lens and try to delve deep, I think you and along with a lot of other cats, there's actually a few cats that I know that actually kind of have a similar story with addiction and not liking themselves and kind of stuck in that mentality. So based off your own experience, what would be advice for the people that are kind of stuck and I know that you probably don't judge them at all. You probably have a compassionate lens. What is some advice you have for them? Honestly, for myself, I know I keep saying therapy, but for me, it's just been paramount. I have a therapist now who it's, she's really taking me back. Yeah, I, I think getting therapy and not being scared to ask for help and going and finding a therapist that you feel safe and feel comfortable with. Because I've had therapists before where I miss meetings, I would lie about why I can't make an appointment. And I think, and now with my therapist, I look forward to talking to her. We meet once a week and I look forward to it. And every time I, we step away from therapy, I feel better and I've learned something. So for people that are out there still struggling, if you can afford therapy or if it's available to you, please seek it. And if you don't have that, there's always a meeting somewhere online or in person that you can go to. But the first step is you have to kind of want it. And the sad thing is, is so many addicts don't feel like they're worth anything. So why stop? So how much is the drug use itself is personal choice versus addiction? Like my question is, is I don't know if you heard of the rule 25, but it's just given to people for those that have a drug problem and gives them like free services to do like treatment. So is that available in the States where people with severe drug addiction don't have the financial issues? They are given that freedom to join these otherwise would be expensive programs to get well? In my personal opinion, you could have a small little country program, and then you can have the ones that are in Palm Beach, Florida and cost a million dollars a day. But I think it's the individual person. I think it has to be an individual case by case basis. Do you think treatment is actually the, the really go to? And do you think it's realistic for someone to be able to stop? I guess I'll tell you a little bit about my experience about with my ex. I'm pretty sure you kind of maybe understand the similar environment. I actually ended up going to where she lived at. And when I went there, wow, it was it was a terribly dark world. Uh, she had cat everywhere. It was a complete mess, like a garbage can in a room. And then when she was sober, she kind of realized, wow, the cats weren't getting fed. The house wasn't kept up. And it's one of the saddest worlds I ever experienced that... 
I'm kind of glad that I never went into that kind of environment. So after that, I'm kind of curious. I'm sure since you did a lot of drugs, do you have a huge network of people that were drug addicts? Or when you decided to get clean, did you decide just to cut them all off? Because the issue with me and her is I know that deep down she loves her ex, who he is a drug addict. He like abused her and accordingly, whether it's true or not, raped her. But she still has feelings for him and loves him. My opinion, if you want to really change your life, you got to cut those type of people off. Did you yourself cut those type of people off or they call them plugs? Are those plugs still in your life or what's your opinion on that? Because I guess the the question is you might have done it yourself, but you had to have drug dealers and you must have befriended a few of them. Absolutely. When I quit drugs for good, I threw away my phone or got a new phone, lost all numbers. You have to change people, places, and things. That's one of the first rules. When you decide to get clean, you have to change your whole way of living. You can't go back to the way it was because those people, places, and things are going to pull you back into it. But it really has to start with the individual person, which I know is probably not what you want to hear or is heartbreaking. But if someone wants to keep using drugs, there's a reason. They, I feel that they have to want to do it themselves. How can we help them recognize it? In my personal opinion, you have to just like cut them off. Yeah, it's so painful for me because I don't know about whether he's uh, supposedly he's sober, he's in jail. And this is the, my own question. When do you judge a person when it becomes choice? Or do you actually blame the, the drugs? So should you give an excuse that a person beat you up? Should you give them an excuse that a person drags you into that world, gets you caught up into the criminal aspect? When do you actually choose to actually put accountability to the person and not the, the drug use? Because I feel like in the end, I don't know if it's really good to blame the drugs because in the end, it's still the person choosing to do the hey. drugs and... See, this is the thing. Her and I kind of argued a little bit because she thinks that I'm being judgmental. Maybe I am because I'll be honest, I, I never delved in that world. So in, deep down, I enjoy the stories. I, I like the heart to heart talks. I try to be empathetic, but I never done it. So I, I'll be honest. She could be right. I, I don't understand. But I really feel like if you really want to change your life, you have to cut the people even that you love that do the, the damaging things. Did you actually find yourself in a relationship that did drugs? It, it sounds like you never were codependent with somebody that did drugs that kind of pulled you towards them, or did you have to cut anyone off or maybe your loved ones off? Yeah, well, I only had one boyfriend that I used with, and it totally destroyed our relationship. It tore it apart, and it really... It was more on my side than it was on his. There were tons of times he wanted to stop using drugs. It was ruining our relationship and I wasn't having that. I, I wanted to keep using drugs and I wanted him as well. But when it came down to it, I wanted the drugs more than him. And he actually left me because he wanted to stop using drugs. And then it flip-flopped again where there was a point where he was clean and wanted me to get clean and... I wasn't having any part of it, so he wouldn't have anything to do with me. And then a couple of years later, he was using and I was clean, but I wasn't going to help perpetuate that. So we haven't spoken in a long time. So you mentioned that the best thing is like, let's say you have a loved one that does drugs. You said something that the best thing to do is cut them off. But what if they get so stuck in it that they end up committing suicide? Is that even something there's, you have to be there, worried there's about? There's a big guilt, or, guilt complex, like saving them. Keeps, 
like I don't know if it's crying wolf, but she keeps saying that she's not going to live very long. She says she's going to marry this guy and they're not going to live very long. Well, tell me this. Does she contact you when he's not in jail? That's what I was wondering, because she's probably just basically using me. And I can't be down with that, man. As much as I feel for them, if she can't cut this guy off. See, I guess it doesn't even matter to me if we're together or not. But the fact that I did all that work trying to get her out of that situation. I mean, he paid bail twice. He had her live here for like a month. And she left. She lived with another person that was there to take care of her. And she was here for free. She was there for free, too. But there was just a lot of things she ended up doing. There, I don't know. There's a lot of people with drugs, maybe borderline personality disorder that tend to lie. I don't know if you found yourself lying a lot since you said drugs are everything in the end absolutely it's sad it breaks my heart because i know a lot of people that do drugs they're probably at the most vulnerable moments of their life and they need the support but at the same time when you give them the support they might just be using you and, and take you. advantage and there's like the only way they could learn is to let them just suffer alone, which it pains me. I had a blocker today. It's her birthday today. But do you still feel yeah. that's what you need to do is cut people off? Those that your loved ones, is that something that you have to do? Or is there another way around it? Can you somehow convince them to quit? Or is that actually out of the, the picture? A hardcore addict, I don't think you could convince them to stop. There's a phrase that set off in the rooms. You can't love somebody to death. And if, if you continue giving them money or giving them some kind of support, whether it be financially or emotionally, you are contributing to their addiction. Yeah, exactly. By telling them it's okay. And I've had many relationships. You have to understand addicts are manipulative, lying people. Like, And I'm sure she, she might be a very great girl, but she's not herself now. The drugs are speaking for her. And I have tons of people that I used. And when I got clean, I had to call so many people and say, I'm so sorry that I have a guy that's still in love with me. I stole his car. <laughs> I stole his car and drove it from Florida back to New Orleans. And this guy is like still in love with me. And this year when I started therapy, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, he's like, you didn't treat me that bad. I'm like, I stole your car. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And to me, honestly, if she really wanted to be with you, she'd probably be there with you. I already pretty much know I'm second best. That's why I realize just the fact that she's still choosing to go back. I just, I, I can't be there for her. And that's just, that's the sad reality, but. Right. And, and you deserve better than that. Yeah. I pretty much told her I, I need to have self-respect. So, so do you, you actually still believe that tough love is the only thing you can give? drug addicts and you would even right? recommend it for yourself too it sounds like i don't know if it's the only thing that you can give but if the continued support to the person addictive is causing you pain and it is not helping them who does that help so let's say a loved one who's drug addict cries out for help saying they're suicidal say they want to commit suicide should you listen to them or should you just let them sit in their own beliefs because i don't know if they're crying wolf or they just want attention or how much of that is the drug needed in itself? In my personal opinion, I've told every lie, every scam in the book, if I needed something to get what I wanted. My question is like, if someone's suicidal, that is a, a drug addict, should you believe them? I mean, how many times has she told you that? Quite often. Is she dead yet? Uh, no. And I'm not trying to say bad things about her, but as long as you're still going to be there for you, she's going to keep saying these things. Do you know what I mean? True. See, the, the story behind her is that what initially kind of 
made me have a little bit of compassion, empathy is the fact that I feel like a lot of her trauma was as a child, she found who her parents was and they went to Korea. But when they went there as a young child, they pretty much shoved that door in her face. And I think she never became the same ever since. But at the same time, as you get older, how many times do you have to keep going back to that same feeling? Because in the end, when you're an adult, you've got to try to find better ways to cope and, and heal with that. I mean, like I said before, you can't love someone to death. I mean, I'm sure y'all watched Intervention before or all the TV shows. And their stance on it is you can love the person, the addict to death. You have to have your boundaries, have your bottom line, say this is what I'm going to take and this is what I'm not going to take. It's your addiction, but you can't let your addiction affect me. And if it's affecting me in negative ways, that's not fair. And I'm sure an addict, they're still in that addict place. They might not empathize with it, but they're not in their right state of mind. So you can't talk to them like a normal person and try to reason with them because that reasoning is not there. The drug is fueling all their, then the drug is their motivation. So my question is like, it looks bad to not have empathy for drug addicts. Is that a bad thing? Should you empathize with them at all? Or because it sounds like you should just totally cut them off. I mean, I totally have so much empathy for my former addicts, but at the same time, I mean, I'll give you all my emotional support or I'll talk to you, but it comes to the point where if you're going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, and if that's affecting my life and my happiness and I've lived it, I can't contribute to that because that's not healthy for me or for them. Do you see what I mean? It might sound cold, and I think that's why so many parents that support their children and give them money, and mine did that for me. I mean, my father would send me money if I needed it. That's exactly what happens with my ex. The family sends them money, and I imagine the parent, they must have a lot of sorrow for their child, and I'm sure that probably doesn't make the drug addict son or daughter. I'm sure they have to deal with a lot of shame themselves, knowing that they're kind of stuck in that cycle. They know they're affecting people, but yet... They can't get themselves out of it. Being in the grip of addiction is such, it's a really lonely place to be. I mean, it's terrible. You, I mean, if you're putting drugs into your body, it already shows you how much that you don't care about yourself. Not saying that there's something totally wrong with that person, but they're in that addict state of mind, which I don't think they don't have a concept of trying I and mean, you can't use successfully. If you're an addict, you can't use this a little bit. <laughs> you can't do it. There's no way. I'm curious, like, this is my take. I see homeless people on the street. I don't know if they do drugs. I'm reluctant to give them some money, even though they ask. And then I think about maybe the government, like, always what they should. They should provide housing and stuff. How much should the government provide resources for these guys? And how much will they be willing to change if the government actually steps in? Is that even something that should be in consideration? Because it seems like it's hopeless without them having that personal choice to quit. So do you think that would be the right stance is that the government by not doing anything would be better for them? Or, or what's your take on that? I'm not 100% sure. To be completely honest, I used to never, ever give homeless people money. I used to never do it. I was like, I've been homeless. I was a drug addict. They're just probably going to use it for drugs. And I'm not going to contribute to that. I think in the past six months, I've developed more empathy. If someone asked me for a dollar or something, I might give it to them. But I'd rather go buy them some food rather than give them cash. The whole government aspect, I mean, I think there should be some kind of reform. But when it comes down to it, it's the addict's decision. 
if they want to get help or not. And it's not going to work until they want to. I know I keep being redundant and saying the same thing over and over again, but I was the worst of the worst. And I still would be doing drugs if I thought I could do it successfully or if I thought I could do it, but I just couldn't. So I have you ever heard of anti-abuse? Anti-abuse? Uh, yes. I don't know what they call it, but anti-drug abuse or is there something that people can get to stop their drug addiction or helps with that or is there something that exists? I mean, it's not easy to find, but if you have a phone and you can get on the internet, when I was ready to quit, it was fairly easy for me to find a rehabilitation center. But I was going to say, and a lot of them, if you don't have insurance, they will help you get insurance while you're there because anyone that's homeless, you can say you're homeless. When people are in these situations and like, I guess people can die literally if they don't get their fix. And my question is, they give you something, but what is that again? Like they give you some type of drug to ease the addiction. I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about or no? Every person's different. I guess it depends what kind of addiction you have, but the only two drugs that actually can cause you to die from withdrawing are alcohol and benzodiazepines. Benzodiazepines would be Valium, Xanax, and Klonopin, all those things. I always thought heroin, you can overdose some heroin. Oh, you can overdose from it, but the withdrawal is not going to kill you. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's very severe cases, but it's alcohol and the benzos that in the withdrawal, you risk having a seizure and that's what kills you. Was meth the hardest one that you had a withdrawal from or which one was the hardest one of all the ones that you tried to withdraw from? Absolutely. Heroin. Absolutely. Opiates. And because you build up a physical dependence, like, you know, the opiate receptors in your brain, it gets attached, probably speaking, scientific speak, but the, the opiate addiction is heroin. It's physically addictive. And you actually physically feel you're not going to die, but you feel like you want to die. Whenever I think about actually using now, if it pops into my head or if for me, one of the biggest things is, oh, I'm bored. People are always going to be bored, like, but I'm bored and my mind might wander. I think of my withdrawal and the last time I used and how terrible it felt. And I don't want to ever feel that way ever again. So it sounds like the lows, despite that you feel depressed still, sometimes you're struggling with suicidality. You find that doing the drugs aren't worth it. It sounds like for the past seven years of you been sober. And is that the kind of advice would you uh, give to people? If you have the resources, look for someone that's still using. If you want to stop, the help is there for you. If you want to stop, it's there. I mean, there are numbers you can call. There's all, you know, there's so many 1-800 hotlines. There's so many rehab centers that might take you a couple of weeks to get in there, but a couple of weeks is nothing. And I mean, in the span of a year, if you really want the help, it is there. I do think that though addiction for most people, the addiction is not the problem. The actual drug is not the problem. The drug is actually the solution, not the problem. The problem is something deep down, some kind of trauma. It's different for every person. But once you address that, then I think the healing can begin. Because as I said before, I haven't been using for almost six and a half years. But those six and a half years, I was still completely, completely miserable. I still, I wasn't using, but I was not a happy, only semi-functioning person. I'm curious, were you ever diagnosed with depression or mental illness that your therapist seen you with or? I mean, 
I have been diagnosed. I'm official diagnosis is PTSD and extreme anxiety. And the PSD is from some things that happened during Hurricane Katrina. But my addiction started before then. Have you suffered from any other uh, self-harm like eating disorders or or cutting? I personally have never cut, but I was a ballerina for many, many years. So eating disorders are not foreign to me at all. And I don't have them now, but I do still struggle with the way I look. (laughs) I still, (laughs) I always think I can be thinner, but now I'm learning to give myself grace. Since you're struggling with depression, would you ever consider medication or have you tried that route? And Oh, yeah. I've been on, gosh, I've been taking medication since for years and gosh, for over a decade. It was only like the past two years when I'm like, everything is fine in my life. I live in a beautiful house. I have a wonderful family. I'm reconnected with my children. I have an as good as I can relationship with my parents, but there's still something wrong. Like, well, what is it? And I was on a depression medication and anxiety medication, but I still wanted to die. I mean, I wasn't going to kill myself, but I still... I, I can't live this way. I was so depressed. Were you able to pinpoint that or you're not sure? Or but does the therapist that you've been working with now, what kind of solutions or, or advice has she been giving you? What she's doing with me is what was paramount is that it's not my fault. There's nothing wrong with me. Gosh, for me, it was as much as I loved my adoptive mom and my adoptive dad, They were not, and as as good of people they are, they were not able to give me the kind of love that I needed. And her telling me that, even though I didn't believe it right away, and I didn't believe it right away, that was paramount for me to start understanding it. I didn't believe it at first, but I understood it. What she had me do was draw a picture of myself or find a picture of myself. So I found a picture of myself. I found a picture of a little Asian girl and she was like, this is little Erica. And, you know, she was like, Erica, do you as an adult, do you feel like you deserve love? And I was like, no. And she's like, look at the picture. Does little Erica deserve love? And I'm like, well, yes, of course. Little Erica didn't do anything. So this might sound silly, but for me, it was because my problem started very, very young, like five and six. So that's why she has me look at little Erica. It sounds like it, this is the process of kind of healing your inner child, which was our previous interview with Sasha Fragone, who kind of had a drug addiction and a lot of mental health issues as well. That is exactly what she's doing. She's helping me heal my inner child. And the peace that I feel that I'm starting to feel is, is amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. I'm curious, this is kind of off topic because we've been focused on drug addiction and your past, but speaking of Korean culture, have you ever actually explored trying to find your birth family? I have not. I have not yet. I have the DNA test. I have not been able to bring myself to send it back yet. And since I am still new in this phase of my therapy, I think that is because right now we're working on the issues with my adoptive parents. And I have a feeling, I'm not sure, but I have a feeling once I'm more settled with that, I have a feeling I might get more curious, but I haven't been able to send it back yet because I'm scared of the rejection. Do you think not knowing your parents or your past has contributed to the traumas and choices that you made in the past? I definitely feel being abandoned and given up for adoption. Yes, it's definitely made me feel like what was wrong with me? Like, why wasn't I good enough? And then my parents choosing to have their own biological child. 
my adoptive parents that definitely just reaffirmed that belief in myself. Not that that belief was correct, but that belief that was already there from day one of being adopted. And exactly that's what my therapist is helping me do. She's helping me learn that it wasn't my fault. There's nothing wrong with me. As much as my adoptive parents were great or good people, they weren't able to love me and give me the kind of love that I needed. And I know it might sound silly me saying it out loud, but it's made such a bit of difference having someone else say it and reaffirm it to me. I'm curious, since you did have kids, do you feel that filled up the gap or not? Did it fill up that missing part, that missing puzzle piece? I like to ask because sometimes when people are parents, it could go one way or the other. I mean, some people have kids to feel whole. How did that affect your life? Uh, It's so funny because I wanted something to love. I got pregnant when I was 18. I was very young. That's one of my major targets of guilt and shame. Like I was giving up myself. Like, how could I do that? And that's something that me and my therapist are working on now. But she keeps telling me that, how could you have chose, how could you know how to love and take care of a baby if it was never given to you? She's helping me try to learn that it's not my fault. And the decisions that I made when I was 19, even though I see how wrong they are now, I definitely would not make them now. So to give myself some grace. So the answer to the question is, is yes, I went the other way where I know a lot of adoptees have. Since I didn't know how to love myself, I didn't even know how to love my own children. Are your kids well adjusted right now, despite not you being in their life? How long were you not in their life for? I wasn't in their life at almost at all for like maybe the first two, three or four years. Then it was sporadic for a couple more years. And then it was no contact at all. Who took care of the kids? Did your parents take over? Because that was kind of the story with my ex. It was their father. So the father, I'm assuming, was responsible back then. Uh, Oh, yeah. He never did drugs or did anything like that. He was a good man. He did the best he could, but he wasn't abusive or didn't have any substance issues or anything like that. Does your kids know about this issue that you struggled with? Do they? Oh, absolutely. Do they try to be as compassionate as possible or? Like I said before, you know, we are children that have been given up or abandoned. It's amazing the amount of empathy that we have for other people. My children are amazing. Sometimes I wonder how I got so lucky that they're so understanding and so accepting. Like they love me with open arms and they know everything that I've done. I'm completely open and honest with them just as I am with you. And they've forgiven me. And even them forgiving me though, wasn't enough to get rid of the guilt and shame. It's only through now with my therapist that I'm actually starting to work towards like feeling better about it. And I know what I noticed about myself is I had a hard time relating to even my own children, even though we were back together over these past seven years, because I had no love for myself, it was hard for me to love something that came from me. I didn't understand that, but I'm starting to understand it now. Like, even though we were together these past seven years, we've been together and have been in contact. It was always still uncomfortable. It was always still like there was something that I didn't know what it was and made me feel bad about myself. Like, what is wrong? Why? What is it? And and my therapist is now helping me work with it. Like if you don't love yourself, it's and it sounds terrible to say, but when you see extensions of yourself, you think of that as not, it sounds me awful, but it's just, it's just my truth. It's cliche, but they always say that you have to love yourself before loving other people. 
absolutely. It's cliche, but it's so, so true. So, so true. And I've noticed now that I've been in therapy for the past six months, and now that I am starting to love myself more, my family tells me, they're like, you're so much more pleasant to be around. <laughs> you're, you're so much of a nicer person to everybody. And now that I can give myself grace, it, it's a lot easier to, to give it to other people. So what have you learned in therapy? What are some positive things that you do like about yourself? Positive things about myself. I'm definitely a survivor. <laughs> I'm definitely that. I think I'm a pretty smart girl. <laughs> I'd like to think so. And I am. I'm very empathetic. So it's off topic, but was it just recently you got interested in the Korean culture? When did you start reaching out to other Korean adoptees? Yes. I think I mentioned it a little bit before, but because my father was Chinese and my mother was Caucasian, if people ask me what I was, I'd say my dad's Chinese and my mom's Caucasian. So my whole life, I lied about what my ethnicity was. And it wasn't until I got clean. Uh, actually, to be honest, it wasn't even then. It was this past six years that I've been with the person that I'm with now, my, my fiance that I'm with now, that I was honest about. He is the first man I ever was honest about my ethnicity. I said, I'm Korean. Every, a lot of people knew I was Korean anyway, but I would lie about it. And it was through connecting with our Facebook group that I actually became more interested in my Koreanness. <laughs> So who was the first Korean adoptee that you actually introduced yourself to? You remember or was it a specific Facebook group like Korean adoptees or? It was our Korean American, the KAD one. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. To be honest, I was going to say, I, which one of you is Travis? I'm Travis. I talked to you earlier. You're the only person that I've ever had like a text back and forth conversation with. Yeah, that's because I'm, I'm really handsome and that's why you reach out to me. Actually, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of people that we tend to to talk to deeply, and that's why we really like doing the, this kind of stuff. And I think it's really important talking about this. And I know it takes a lot of strength to talk about these vulnerable things, but I feel like you kind of have to talk about these things. And I think it could help a lot of people, especially people that are in similar situations as yourself. Have you came across other cads that have had similar experiences with drug addiction and? mental health at all or no? I have. How is the relationship with them? Do you find a connection or no? I definitely do. But just for myself, since I've only like this person, new recent personal growth journey that I like to call it that I'm on since I've only been in therapy with this therapist who's so wonderful. It's only been the past six months and every week is still something that I'm learning. And it's almost like I've kind of regressed back because my whole life, I've always been a very... I don't care. Yeah, it, I mean, I would pretend. I like, I'm fine. I have it all together. Like, yada, yada, yada. Now I just don't have any time to fool with all that. I'm, I'm kind of a big mess and that's okay, but I'm getting it together. I'm, I'm getting it all together. But I think because of that, I'm reluctant to make new friends with people. I have a lot of people that reach out and they want to like talk to me. But I think right now I'm trying to take care of me and figure out who I am. I guess the answer to the question is I haven't had in-depth conversations or with anybody. I noticed with a lot of cads that they say that they don't like getting too close to other people. And I think it kind of relates to the adoption type of thing and, and trust. So, And plus with your new journey, it's probably makes sense because you still don't totally know yourself so it's it's probably good that you're taking a step back and engaging with yourself first before making these total connections and actually what you just said is so good because i didn't think about it first i'm learning because this is my first time ever talking with other adopted people because my whole life it wasn't until i joined the facebook group about a year ago that 
I'd ever met other adoptees. To be completely honest, the Facebook group has helped me so much. That's actually what I think jump-started me wanting to actually seek help for me. I think our Korean Facebook group was the first catalyst in seeing that other people felt similar ways that I did. You know, I know you have depression and maybe you don't have that self-worth, but I just want to congratulate you. I think you can kind of relate this to someone that might get a degree. I feel like maybe you got a doctorate in sobriety and you should really congratulate yourself because I have great admiration for you because there's just people that are still stuck in that cycle and you somehow, even though it sucks sometimes being alive and dealing with the shame, you're still trying to make things better. And because of that, I, I feel like for the, our viewers and everyone who's listening and watching this, it, it gives people hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel, as cliche as, as that might sound. Once you learn that you are worth it, and we all are, we all are such wonderful. We all have so many things to give, but you, you have to realize that yourself. So I guess as the final question, do you have any other advice for the people that are, are struggling right now? And you have any other last minute things you would like to address that we haven't covered today? Any addict out there that's still struggling or any person or any adoptee, just period. We are all so wonderful and we're exactly who we need to be. We might not like ourselves at the time. We might want something we can fix, but we're all exactly who we're supposed to be. And that's okay. So I just want to bring up one last topic. I know you mentioned that you aren't comfortable exploring your birth family and you're afraid of rejection. You're the few of many people that have experienced that and like the possibility that you might be, have rejection. But I do recommend if you do have the financial ability to go to Korea sometimes because I feel that it does give a little bit of closure. I feel like I recommend that for people that can't even find their birth family. Thank you for saying that because I know a lot about y'all's story and, and other Korean adoptees. It's something that I would really like to do. And it's something that I'm actually like to look into maybe another time or because I know when we had the interview with Caitlin, y'all were mentioning like a program in Minnesota that helps people the first time they go back. Yeah. So there's Sungcho Park. He's a minister here in the Twin Cities. You do not have to be from Minnesota to go on the trip, but he gives people the first time opportunity. So I know you would be financially covered by him through a grant. So basically, if you haven't been to Korea for your first time, he does try to get a new exploration of your birth family, but he also does a free trip to Korea and sightseeing. So if that's something you're interested, hopefully after this COVID, he does have plans to bring that back into consideration. So if you ever open to that, you might be able to apply to his program. So I, I think that we covered it all. I just wanted to say that I'm really glad that it sounds like you're in a stage of like finally recovering and living a better life. Yeah, there are struggles. Yeah, there are sometimes moments that you don't feel that great, but I'm still glad that you're still trying to fight the good fight. And I do want to notice that you're worth it. Everybody's worth it. And we hope that your story can actually spread a little bit of light on, on people that are struggling and that there actually does exist hope and people can live a better and happier life. And thank you to you both. You guys are, have this amazing platform and you're really helping other people too. So I admire you both just as much. I'm curious, would it be okay to share your Facebook with anyone? Because I'm pretty sure if, if there's people with addiction and struggling that you might be of some 
used to them. And yeah, are you interested something. in being a, a coach a little bit or maybe just a friend? Okay. Absolutely. Anyway, me helping other people actually helps me. It heals me. So I'm sure you guys know that all, it probably helps you by interviewing people, learning. I can, yeah. So feel free if there's anybody, I'll talk to them till the, the cows come home. Thanks, Erica. I know it took a lot of strength and vulnerability speaking about uh, these type of issues. I really think speaking about these things can help a lot of people. And I hope the more people talk about these things, the more people that could heal and try to live a happier life. Thanks. We thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you guys.